so I, I honestly think that I, a lot of scientists are creative. So the people I'd done my PhD with were really creative in the lab. They'd invent these crazy, like these crazy methodologies that you would never even expect. And I think science is a really creative topic. We're just not recognizing it as one. I mean, think about anyone who's having to develop a method for anything from scratch. That is basically how you would design a film or a game. You're putting all the ingredients together. You're seeing if it fits. You're seeing if it works. That's the voice of Dr. Carla Brown, a scientist turned entrepreneur. Carla's background is in microbiology. To say Carla has a passion for microbiology might not adequately describe her relationship with the scientific discipline. So basically, I am like the biggest fan of microbiology in the whole entire world. I think I'm going to just like die with like agar plates all over my flat. It was this passion that first caught my attention when I came across Carla on Twitter. And the more I started to look into her online presence, the more impressed I became. You see, Carla's passion for the microbial world has led her to become an interesting figure in the SciComm movement a movement all about finding ways to engage the public in science. If you listen to our earlier episode on the need for more and better science communication, the episode with Jason Tetro, the germ guy, then you know this is no easy task. To accomplish this, Carla began to look at non-traditional communication methods. When I say non-traditional, I really mean it. And this has taken her career down a very interesting and creative road. I think if I asked most lab professionals, they'd probably say that they don't see themselves as the creative type. But as Carla explained at the top of the episode, perhaps scientists are more creative than they think. Close your eyes. Go with me for just a minute here. Now, imagine the concept of antibiotic resistance. What kind of images do you see? If your answer is anything other than an intricate dance complete with clouds of glitter and a handsome young man, well, perhaps you could learn a thing or two from Carla. So come with me as we explore what happens when art meets science. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. Um, So yeah, so my passion for microbiology really sort of began in high school. I had like an amazing biology teacher. Um, So I kind of went down the standard traditional route. I'd done an undergraduate in microbiology at Dundee University, which is in Scotland. And then I'd done a PhD at Glasgow University. And my PhD was focusing on developing new antibiotics from gut bacteria to treat bacteria infections associated with Crohn's disease. Carla's career starts out in a pretty traditional manner, not altogether different than a young lab professional going through their studies. It was during her PhD studies that Carla starts to share her passion with others. And she is really passionate about her field. Just listen to her explain her research on gut bacteria. So bacteria, when they're stressed in their normal environments, will produce antibiotics called bacteriocins. And they're really, really, and they're really cool because they're so specific. So... The ones that are produced by E. coli will only really kill E. coli. So they're not like these kind of broad spectrum antibiotics that we currently use in health. So obviously during my PhD, I was so passionate about microbes and antibiotics. I started, you know, doing public talks and seminars. And I was kind of sort of at a loss at how I could communicate difficult audiences like teenagers and kids. 
So this is when I started to explore the use of games and it started off with like card games. So it was at this time that Carla identified a need for alternative tools to educate the public on antibiotic resistance. And this is where her career takes a unique turn. Carla develops a game called Bacteria Combat, based on a card game called Top Trumps, and converted it into an app. Bacteria Combat teaches players about the different types of bacteria which live in the human body and about antibiotic resistance. The hope was that by introducing Bacteria Combat into primary and secondary schools, Carla and her creative partner could change attitudes towards bacteria and antibiotics. So this started off as a really fun project with my friend Siam. She's a creative in Scotland. And we developed this game as a tool to educate kids ages sort of 6 to 12 on bacteria and how they interact in a dynamic environment such as the human body. So I evaluated the game, like its, its ability to teach as a standalone product, and this kind of all blew up. So I got funding from several, several associations, such as the Microbiology Society and the Society for Applied Microbiology, and developed it into an app. And ever since then, I've just kind of been experimenting with different media to educate on microbiology. I think it's such a cool topic. It's not enough just to talk about it as a standalone sort of seminar. I want to visualize it. I want to personify it. I want to put audio to it. And I want everyone just to kind of see it as this dynamic world that I do. How cool is that? Can you imagine turning your love of the lab into an interactive game? Amazing. Now, Carla is quick to dismiss the idea that game design is the only or even the best way to communicate science to the public. From her perspective, it's about finding the right metaphor. It was only when I started to evaluate the effectiveness of bacteria combat, and I actually worked on another game called Poo Racer, we could talk about that in a second, and I saw this um, increased learning that I started to really see the potential for games. I think with science communication, you want to find a metaphor for your, a metaphor for your science and, you know, and let the format come naturally to you. I would never say to anyone, oh, go make a game, like make a game to do this. No, find the metaphor find the analogy, and then see which media format really fits with it. I'm sure the idea of going off and making your own lab-related video game seems pretty far-fetched, right? You might be thinking, well, clearly this is a scientist who happened to know a thing or two about game design, making merging her two passion areas really easy. Well, that's not quite the case. Okay, so first of all, I have absolutely no skills in video game design. I do not have a degree. I cannot code. So it turns out that Carla wasn't some hardcore game designer in her spare time. So how did she develop Bacteria Combat? Through a process called modding. So yeah, that's what I basically done at the very, like at the early point of my career is I mod, like modified, they call it modding, existing game sort of formats and types to my science. And I think that's a really easy way for people to get involved in science game design. Take a game mechanic that we know works and adapt it to include their content. I mentioned that Bacteria Combat is based on a card game called Top Trumps. If that doesn't sound familiar, it's because Top Trumps became popular in the UK during the 1970s and 80s. It never really caught on in Canada. So if you're having trouble picturing what bacteria combat is like, I'll let Carla explain. So you have like these sort of character cards 
And on each card, it's like built up of different stats. So for example, let me find a cool one. So Yersinia Pestis card, we know that causes the Black Plague. He's pretty nasty. So on every card, there's a strength, generation time, speed, resistance, and special power. So for Yersinia Pestis, he's got a strength of 100. So he's actually got the top strength score because we know that the Black Plague wasn't very good. So let's just, let's just remember that. <laughs> the generation time is how fast the bacteria doubles in minutes. So for Yersinia pestis, that's two hours, and that's fact accurate. The speed is flagella production. So he's got, I'm calling him he, <laughs> he's got a score of zero because Yersinia pestis doesn't really have flagella. And the resistance is antibiotic resistance, and special power is like their unique sort of genetic quality. Um, so we could say virulence factor. So yes, yeah, so each card has these and different scores, and you just compete. So let's just say you, I've got Yersinia, you have Vibrio, I challenge you to strength, my strength is 100, this is a strength of 20, boom, I beat your card. It's just a numbers game. If you're interested, you can check out Bacteria Combat on iTunes and Google Play. I'll include links on the Objective Lens website at podcast.csmls.org. Earlier, I alluded to an intricate dance to explain antibiotic resistance. That's because Carlos Foray into the creative arts didn't stop with video game design. To help promote the game, Carla co-created a short film entitled Antibiotic Apocalypse. Okay, if you're by a computer, go to YouTube and look this up. While I'm waiting for you, I'll let Carla tell you a bit about the project. Okay, so Antibiotic Apocalypse was the result of my mind and the mind of Siam Colvin, who's my best friend and a filmmaker in Edinburgh. So basically, me and Siam had been involved in the Bacteria Combat Game Project, and we were in Edinburgh at Christmas time, having a few drinks, and I was like, look, we're going to be launching this game soon, what can we do to market this game? And we were talking and talking, and Siam was like, we need to make a film. We need to make a film as a marketing tool and get people interested in what our kind of tone of Game Doctor is about. So then we started talking about, should we, how are we going to film it? And then we're like, oh my God, we need to do Bacteria Combat, the film. We turn them into people, we get them competing, we show, we personify and humanise bacteria and antibiotics. And after we kind of had this enlightenment of idea, it just all fell into place. Like, I would literally walk about Edinburgh and see that film in my head before it was even anything. So what we did is um, we wanted to keep it a short film. I think, to be honest, we should have made it a bit shorter, but we wanted to keep it under five minutes. And we wanted to give a quick kind of overview of the world of antibiotics and how bacteria compete with antibiotics if it was actually a battle. So we worked with my um, PhD supervisor, Dr. Dr. Daniel Walker, and Dr. Adam Roberts from Liverpool's School of Tropical Medicine with what characters we should really portray in the story. So you can see in the story, you have our beautiful antibiotic, who we originally wanted to be a girl, but when Tom walked into the casting, we were like, oh my God, that is our antibiotic. Because we knew it had to be someone with like a presence and like quite good looking. Um, so Tom was the antibiotic and the whole story was to tell the downfall of an antibiotic in the world of resistant bacteria. So in the film, you'll see that he faces a non-resistant E. coli, then a good lactobacillus, and then a resistant MRM, a resistant Klebsiella, and then the Klebsiella um, takes off his glove of resistance and transfers it. 
so yeah, this does sound crazy, but that is kind of how I see microbiology. I don't see germs or standalone, like single entities. Like microbes are one of the most sociable organisms in the whole world. Like they interact, they compete, they fight with each other. And by humanizing it and telling a really emotive story to it, you can engage people that have never read about microbiology in their life before. Many of you are probably thinking that this sounds a little bit crazy. And if you were thinking that, well, you aren't alone. I asked Carla if people looked at her like she had two heads when she first explained her ideas to others. As it turned out, the answer is yes. So when I told um, so Daniel, Daniel Walker, my PhD supervisor, when I told him, he was like, uh, isn't that going to be like really cheesy? And then other people were like, what? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And you're right. Every single person we spoke to before just didn't get it. But then it, when we put it all together and showed them, they were all, they all said it gave them goosebumps, which it still gives me goosebumps. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's the thing with good science communication. You've got to take a risk. It's all about taking risks. If you look at any successful, any sex, any successful marketing company, they take risks all the time. Like look at these high profile, I mean, look at the Pepsi advert, which was obviously bad. They took a risk and it didn't work, but everyone has this like gut feeling inside them when it's their passion and you just have to follow that feeling. And sometimes it won't work. And if it doesn't, that's fine. You've learned something. But I would never like hold back because you think it's going to fail because in that small chance, it might just work and you might just be like, oh my God. (laughs) So yeah. Taking risks is one way to break through the noise and reach a public audience that is otherwise inundated with competing messaging all the time. Just getting noticed is no small feat. I realize that we are pretty far beyond the comfort level of most lab professionals. But using art in many forms can be an effective way to communicate the science and the profession that you're passionate about. It's all about sharing that passion with others and getting them as excited about the subject as you are. Art has a unique way of doing that. And on a very basic level, can we all admit it would be pretty cool to create a dance video? But um, no, the shoot, and even the shoot was so fun. Once the dancers got their makeup on, they almost like became the bacteria because we basically wrote a character profile for each bacteria. So like E. coli was supposed to be like, kind of like quite insect-like and very like fidgety. And um, lactobacillus had to be very beautiful and like very serene. And Klebsiella very like strong and like tough and godlike. And then Bacteroides like good but with an evil side. So <laughs> they just all got into character. And Tom, as soon as Tom got his gold makeup on, he was just walking about like he owned the place, which we wanted the antibiotic to do. So yeah, it was just, we thought it was very original. And we want to continue investigating ways to humanize microbes. Carla is very successful in her own right. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is the first time you're hearing of her. Part of the reason for this is that in the worlds of science and academia, science communication and exploring new ways of engaging the public in science isn't as recognized as it should be. We're, as scientists, we're trained to recognize publications and and large-scale grants as measures of success. And right now, having a game on the App Store is not really, you know, a measure of success. It's, it's a supplementary bonus. 
and that's what we need to start changing the culture. We need to start, you know, communicating to science and young early career scientists that this can also be your future and this is also successful. Okay, yes, maybe you're not going to have a nature paper, but you might do something even more amazing. By no means am I saying we abandon the peer-reviewed papers, poster presentations, and conference sessions, which are the traditional forms of sharing scientific knowledge. These activities should continue to be recognized and respected. But isn't there room to recognize other efforts and accomplishments that don't fit into the traditional structures we're used to? I think there is, and Carla just so happens to agree with me. So I think by increasing science communication courses, so I mean we see that there's now masters of science communication, there should be PhDs in science communication, there should be awards in science communication. So yeah, I absolutely believe that. I think it's it's a massive achievement and as more and more apps come out and more games come out and conferences grow, people will start to recognize that. But we're not like we're in a tech world. Papers are great, but it's it's the digital era. <laughs> technological devices are at its at their prime you know we're using we're spending more time online than we ever have so apps and films and games have to sort of be recognized as the new publication in, in this kind of digital native era so maybe it is time for a culture shift and maybe there's an opportunity for lab professionals to be at the head of that shift are your creative juices flowing yet I was an artist first. Even when I was a little girl, I can remember uh, bragging to my preschool friends that I colored every single day, and that's really stuck with me. I, I, uh, art has been a big part of my life through high school into college. In college, I was uh, pre-med, but still taking classes at a local art school because I missed it so much. And at one point, I was so frustrated that I couldn't do both that I um, just Googled art plus medicine plus career and um, out came medical illustration as a profession. And from that point on, I knew exactly what my life goal was. I changed out of pre-med um, and took the many prerequisite, prerequisites I needed to take um, to go to grad school for medical illustration. That's the voice of Caitlin Walsh, a biomedical artist in Omaha, Nebraska. Caitlin knew what her passion and calling was at an early age. That's impressive. I think I'm still looking for mine. The merging of her love of art and her fascination with the human body makes her work relatively unique. For Caitlin, it's about expression. Expressing what I saw in my own way, I think, really resonated with me. I was constantly drawing the things that I saw, but you know, switching it to, to express the way I felt about it. Um, and that was even from a young age. Um, and that's always been what I wanted to do, um, t- take a visual subject and then just put my own take on it. Uh, that's what resonates with me the most. And also, I would say taking something complicated or not ugly per se, but um, something that not everybody sees as beautiful and trying to make it beautiful. That's, that's been my passion of the past decade. Caitlin's website and business is called Lion Road Art. Why Lion Road Art, you may ask? Well, this brings us to a turning point in both Caitlin's life and her art. 
Caitlin lived on Lion Road for only a year, but it was an impactful year. She had moved in with her husband, finished grad school, started a new job, and then found out she was pregnant. This should have been an exciting and happy time in her life, and it was. But soon after she found out, there were major problems with the pregnancy. Her son would be born very premature and very sick, spending months in the NICU. Don't worry, things do work out for Caitlin and her son. But this period, as you can imagine, was traumatic. Each day at her Lion Road apartment was a challenge. But this experience gave Caitlin an opportunity to master an important concept, appreciation. About when he was in the NICU, um, he was in the NICU for 72 days. Um, it was so, I just didn't have much experience uh, with those with not with having poor health because my health had been great my husband's and you just start to take it all for granted and then when somebody important to you gets sick you feel like the rug is being pulled out from other from under you this 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 thing that you had always taken for granted um all of a sudden isn't a for sure thing you know it was, it was life or death for a while and um it, it was just an experience that i wasn't you know wasn't familiar with and um it was in, in many ways, life-altering. So when he was in the NICU, I had to deal with those stresses and anxiety, and I really learned to appreciate what um, what was going well. Um, the the body, the, first of all, the body systems that were working, instead of focusing on his kidneys that weren't, you know, going right, put the focus on the brain scans that had gone well. And when I did that, um, that's what really got the spark going of of. Um, hey, I could I could paint these good bodily systems because now I know how hard it is, uh, the, the intricacies of the human body and how they can go wrong. So how about we take the time to appreciate what is going right? And and that was really the spark that started it all. Let's appreciate the complexities of the human body and how amazing it is when it works. Caitlin's paintings are a manifestation of this appreciation. She paints anatomy, usually in watercolor, to showcase the beauty of the human body. From her perspective, the human body is phenomenal, and she uses her art to communicate this to the world. The reason we found Caitlin is because she created a series of histology paintings, part of her watercolor series. I asked Caitlin about creating art from these lab samples that you probably see all the time. Histology is one of those some paintings I have to work at, they're, they're kind of, um, they're like pulling teeth, I say. They don't come easily, but histology paintings always come easily because when you look at those, uh, uh, when, when you look at the images, um, whether in textbooks or online, they lend themselves so much to watercolor, and they're so artistic in their own right. My point here is that there is beauty to the work that you do. You may not always see it, or you may have even started to look past it because you're focused on the day-to-day aspects of the job, but it's there. And if we can find a way to show it to others, they may gain a new appreciation for the lab. Caitlin's experience with her son gave her an appreciation for all of the healthcare professionals that provided support for her and her son while in the hospital, including the lab professionals. Her art is one way of sharing that with the public and she would encourage lab professionals to share their passion with the world, too. Much like Carla, Caitlin doesn't expect that her artistic medium is the only or even the best way to do it. 
So don't worry if your watercolor painting isn't quite up to par. There are plenty of ways to express yourself. And I think that that's so important because I think when you flex that other side of your brain too, um, I think it just makes you better at your job because you're, you know, you're, you're using, like I said, more of your senses. So I think, um, I think it's important to, even if you think of yourself as a, a, as a more technical person, I still, I think it's very important to, to not ignore that other side of you. And, um, yeah, not everybody loves to draw and do watercolor of what they're doing, but there's so many other ways to express yourself creatively. Um, even if it's, photography, if it's writing about what you do, even if it's a, a, a journal at the end of the night to just discuss what you were most excited about in your day, um, even just uh, venting via social media the things you, you're excited about, finding pictures from other people that excite you and with permission, of course, um, posting those on your accounts just to get, uh, just to show what you love and hopefully inspire other people as well. We're in a great uh, time where ways to express yourself are literally at your fingertips. During production of this episode, the SciComm movement found itself unintentionally making headlines in mainstream media, and an interesting discussion erupted on social media. I think it's relevant to our discussion today, because if you're putting your passion out there, as Carla and Caitlin have, you can open yourself up to criticism. Allow me to explain. The incident begins when Science Magazine publishes an op-ed piece by Megan Wright, a doctoral candidate at the University of Toronto. The article, Why I Don't Use Instagram for Science Outreach, sought to highlight gender disparities in science and academia. That is a message well worth sharing. However, the article calls out one particular SciComm personality, Samantha Yamin. Samantha is a fellow U of T doctoral student who goes by the name Science Sam on Instagram and other social media platforms. Unfortunately, Megan holds up Samantha as being emblematic of what she feels is wrong with the SciComm movement, stating that the focus on, quote, pretty selfies, fun videos and microscopic images captioned with accessible language and cute emojis, end quote, celebrates a very narrow representation of femininity rather than challenging the systemic issues that these posts are working to address. Sam's online followers and many fellow SciCommers rushed to her defense online. Science Magazine ultimately apologized for how Samantha was treated in the article, as does the author. So why discuss this? Well, I think the op-ed article did raise an important point that was lost in the ensuing debate. There is data that supports that female scientists do more public outreach than their male counterparts. And perhaps some female SciComm participants choose this outreach as a way to get noticed and advance in a male-dominated industry. While not the case in MedLab specifically, there is a broader point about fairness to be made here. But that doesn't mean that the current wave of science communication, fueled largely by female scientists, is a bad thing. Showing girls that they can be scientists is a noble cause. Psychomers showing their passion in selfies and having fun is good. In a time where public distress of science is on the rise, 
more outreach and improving science literacy is vital. Oftentimes we try to categorize everything, put everything in a neat little box with a neat little label, but not everything and not everyone should be forced to fit in just one box. Just like Samantha, you can be a scientist and a creative. You can be a woman, an academic, an artist, a communicator, and yes, you can selfie all you want and it doesn't detract from the rest. We live in a world of ampersands, not periods. And I, for one, like that. In a recent Instagram post, Samantha directly discusses the nexus point of science and art. In it, she says, quote, The older I get, the more I see the fantastic overlap. Both art and science are united in their quest to understand the universe, just using different tools. There can be so much synergy between the two if we let it happen. Science can bring light to issues that art can help us explore visually, and vice versa. Art can inspire awe to fuel further science, and vice versa. End quote. So maybe it's time for MedLab to join the SignCom movement. If you'd like to see what others are doing, check out the hashtags I look like a scientist and hashtag scientist who selfie for some inspiration. Art and science may seem like strange bedfellows, but art is all about expression, sharing your passion and evoking a response in others. What better way to engage the public in the subjects you are passionate about? So maybe, just maybe, it's time to sharpen your pencil crayons, start that blog, learn to paint, shoot that video, and of course, dance. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers, and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Administrative support by Redmilla Minor, editorial and editing support by Erica Now. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. If you're in the medical laboratory field, you'll want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you'll earn a certificate verifying professional development hours by listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter at CSMLS or Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS. Thanks for listening. <laughs>